0: Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast for water treaters, by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, folks. Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up H2O. And Scaling Up Nation, how do you like the new weekly format? Each and every week, a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O is coming to you to make you better at what you are doing. How do we learn when we're driving so much? Well, we can definitely listen to Scaling Up H2O, and that inspires us to do things that we know we should be doing anyway, and we can do it while we're actually working. How cool is this podcast? Well, folks, in order to keep this podcast going and at a rate of weekly, I need your help. You must, you absolutely must email me. Go on my show notes page, ScalingUpH2O.com, and let me know who you want me to talk to, who do you want my future guest to be, and what are some of the questions that you have that you want answered on Scaling Up h 20 Now, you can do that two ways. You can go to the show info, and you can simply just send an email to me that way. Or there is a button on the right-hand side of the webpage, and you can record your voice actually asking me the very question that you want me to answer. And folks, you might even hear your own voice on Scaling Up H2O. Well, we all know it's difficult to learn when we're so busy working, and that's one of the reasons I love Audible. Audible is the way that I'm able to read and work at the same time. Sometimes I'll listen to books while I'm in the lab if I'm not working too terribly hard on concentrating, but definitely when I am in traffic, and folks, I live in Atlanta and there is a lot of traffic here. I don't mind traffic so much because one, I always leave early. I anticipate that I'm going to be late because of traffic. So I leave early. So I arrive early. And if I'm stuck in traffic, it's not a big deal. I've already planned for that. And I'm using that time wisely because I'm listening to either this podcast one of the other podcasts that I like to listen to, or I'm listening to a book on Audible. And folks, if you're not using Audible, you can get a free month and a free book by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible, and you can start trying Audible for free. So on today's show, we're gonna talk about public speaking. Oh my gosh, that is everybody's biggest fear to get in front of a bunch of other people and start speaking where all these people are listening to me. And there was a time where I did not like speaking in front of people. And there were certain things that I did to make sure that I was prepared so I would make myself less nervous. Now, I will tell you, the more I have done it, It does not make me as nervous, but the less I am prepared, the more nervous I am. So that's why I try to over-prepare every time I get in front of an audience. And a lot of you saw me at the AWT convention we just had a couple of weeks ago, and you saw that I spoke at numerous events at the AWT convention, and my hope is that you didn't think that I was nervous at all. I'm going to let you know in a secret, there's always a little bit of nerves down inside. However, I try not to let that show, and that totally goes away when I see that people are involved in what I'm talking about. And folks, that's what I always get nervous about, that people aren't going to care about what I am talking about. So if I am hitting on the right topic and I did my research correctly, I know that I have captured the attention of the audience and they are coming along the journey with me. And of course, I do the same thing with AWT's technical training. And there's no secret, there are people that are way better at public speaking than I am. Gosh, I hope so. But I'm still glad you listened to this podcast. However, I want you to know that I seek professional advice to get me to speak better. One of those people is a good friend of mine. His name is Des Thornton. And what he does, he is a public speaking coach, and he will listen to how you present, to what you present. Look at how you put everything together and he makes it better. Now, he doesn't know a thing about water treatment, but he knows how to produce a good presentation about water treatment. And he has been tremendous in helping me get my messages across to audiences that I present to. Please enjoy my interview with Des Thornton. My lab partner today is Dez Thornton. Dez, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing excellent, Trace. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up because I don't care who you are out there in the Scaling Up Nation. You have to talk to people during your day-to-day. There's just no getting around it. And Dez is the expert on how to do this. How's that for a setup? Uh,
1: sounds great. Um- Pleased to have the opportunity to be here. My career has taken me to several different industries, but never the water treatment industry. So thank you for introducing me to this wonderful industry. And hello to the scale up
0: nation. Yes, absolutely. Your entire career has been a wind up for this moment. So, so no pressure at all, Des. I think I'm ready. <laughs> I know you are. So. I don't leave anything out. Can you please let the Scaling Up Nation know who Des Thornton is?
1: Sure. Well, I am a speech coach as well as a speech writer. And like most people, I stumbled into my purpose maybe nine years or so ago. And since that time, I've continually honed my skills and refined my processes. And today, I would consider myself a successful speechwriter and coach, and my passion is really helping executives and entrepreneurs say the right words in the right way when it matters most.
0: Des, you know something that you and I speak about regularly is I try to be a better communicator on this show and I am trying to be a better communicator when I'm trying to teach the topic of water treatment. And, and the items that you have revealed to me have helped me so much, not only in those endeavors, but my day-to-day interactions with people. So I can't wait to start revealing some of these items to the Scaling Up Nation because I know firsthand how much they can help. But I want to start out with this because I asked the great Google, and of course, nobody can argue with the great Google. And I said, Google, what are some of the biggest fears that we have? And do you know what one of the biggest ones that came up was?
1: I could probably guess that one of the fears is public speaking, right?
0: That was exactly what came up. Now, I have a question about that because everybody speaks and everybody knows how to do it. Most of us speak the, the, the same language or some proximity to it. So now we're doing something we know how to do. We're doing something that we, we want to engage with that person. Why do we get so stressed out when we hear the words public speaking or the thought of speaking in front of people?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it's actually two answers to that whole fear of public speaking question. Uh, On the one hand, I've worked with many people over the years, and I think that I would say probably 100% of them experience some degree of fear. And I think that fear is rooted in the fact that they are going to be judged. Uh, So when they're standing in front of an audience or sitting across the table from an audience in a one-to-one situation, there's always that fear that people are going to judge you. And so I think that's the root of the fear is this whole judgment thing that we all grapple with. But to answer your question a little more specifically, I think the root cause is not really a fear of public speaking, but it's more so a fear of public thinking. Now, when you think about that, Um, When you're speaking in front of a group or even in a one-to-one situation, if you're talking to a client or a prospect, basically every thought that's coming to your mind is very quickly coming out of your mouth. And so it can be challenging to balance the weight of your thoughts. And I think the real culprit is a fear of public thinking and not a fear of public speaking.
0: Well, that's a great point. And I'm sure we're going to get to that. And you've got some tips on how we can think better when we're in front of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Des, one of the things that you like to say is there's a great public speaking myth. What is that? (laughs) Yes. So the
1: great public speaking myth, and many people are guilty of this, myself included, from time to time, is that just because you're standing in front of an audience or sitting in front of an audience, that that audience is listening to what you're saying. Now, you would think that if someone is speaking to you that the other party is listening, but that's not always the case. And so I found in my experience with public speaking that you have to do a little bit of work in order to get people to listen to you particularly today when there are so many distractions like the phone and social media and just all the challenges and the the millions of thoughts that go through our heads. And so I think the first thing that you have to do when it comes to any type of speaking is be strategic about grabbing your audience's attention. And that requires a little bit of skill. So the great public speaking myth is just because you're speaking people are listening. And of course, that's not always true. Of course, when people listen
0: to this show, it's always true.
1: Of course, Trace. Anytime your voice is coming through the
0: airwaves, we're all listening. That's right. That's right. I, uh, I, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but, uh, but there you go. I want to make sure that we focus to everybody out there in the Scaling Up Nation because I'm sure we still have a couple of people out there and they're saying, you know what, this sounds great. You know, eventually I'm going to get an award for my company and I'm going to have to get up there on stage or I might have to give some big presentation. But until then, I really don't see how this applies to me. So I was hoping we could take a second and talk about, you know, your public speaking when you're giving a presentation or where you're giving a proposal, when you're on a cold call, when you're meeting somebody, when you're trying to explain what it is that you did during a particular service call and then what they need to do to get something up to the next level. So Des, how do you frame all of that in so it's not just about I'm up on stage and I'm talking to a big group of people, but I have a responsibility to make sure that I'm getting my message across in every encounter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the easiest way to frame it is quite simply, it's conversations and presentations. And so anytime that you speak, whether you're speaking to your spouse or partner or you're speaking to your children, or if you're in business and you're speaking to a client or you're speaking to a prospect, it could be a one-on-one situation or you could be presenting in the traditional way where you're speaking to a large group. In all of those instances, the communicator, which is usually you have some type of motive or some type of goal that you want to accomplish, You know, even if it's with your children. And I believe and experience has shown me that you need to be strategic about that communication, and you really need to be clear about it. So, when I talk in terms of presentation skills or public speaking, I use the phrase it could be whether you're speaking to one or you're speaking to a ton. It doesn't matter. You know, these practices are the same. And I would suggest that they probably apply more to one to one and smaller group situations than they do to large audiences, because those are the encounters that we have more often throughout our day
0: to day lives. Des, I've heard you speak that there are three different levels of this problem with public speaking that we have to deal with. Do you mind speaking a little on that?
1: Sure. So one of the main objectives when you're communicating is clarity, uh, to make sure that what you're actually saying, the person on the other end, the recipient, is actually hearing. So that way, of course, if you're on the same page, then you can move forward as far as the objectives are concerned. And so, the best way to do that is just to look at the problem from three different levels. Now, the first level of the problem is the known spoken problem. So, you can think about this in your business environment, for example. There's certain things that go on in the work environment that everybody knows and everybody talks about as a problem. And so, those are the things that sort of lie. On the surface. The second level is the known unspoken problem. And we've all experienced this in our family lives or in our business lives where we all clearly know that there's a problem, there's a challenge facing us, but nobody's talking about it. And I think that might be why that famous phrase, the elephant in the room, was invented because everyone knows that something is going on here, but no one is talking about it. And then the last, and what I believe is the most important level of the problem is the unknown unspoken problem so what is that thing what is that challenge that we're facing as an organization as a team as a business that we might not be aware of and because we're not aware of it we're not able to speak about it now with this particular level of the problem when you think about this from a business standpoint if you're in with a client let's say for example or a prospect and you can say to that client or prospect you know, hey, I've evaluated your situation and based on the conversations we've had, you know, this is something that I see going on based on my experience or based on my expertise that you may not be thinking about yet. And this is the impact that it could have for you in the future. Um, I always try to get my clients to speak from this perspective because It is the fastest way for you to be looked at as a trusted advisor. When you can tell people that something is around the corner that could potentially impact them and they have no idea that it's on the horizon. I think when they look back, they're able to quickly assess that, you know, this man or woman certainly has expertise and it's helpful for them and their company going
0: forward. Is there anything that you've seen people do that lubricates that situation, uh, a, makes it a little bit easier? So, okay, basically what we're talking about here is is trust. So if someone trusts me, they're going to explore the unknown, unspoken sooner. So what can we do with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love the term that you use, lubricate that situation. I think going through the first two steps of the problem with them, so addressing that known spoken problem, I always believe that when you communicate, you want to get agreement. And so if you and the other party can agree that, you know yes, this thing is going on in our organization or within a particular system, uh, we're having this problem or malfunction, then that first level of agreement is going to be the first step toward that trust that you're ultimately seeking. And then the second level, the known unspoken problem, then you have to find a way to sort of carefully navigate that as well to now have them talk about something that maybe is not discussed publicly. I think when you can go through those first two levels, that sort of lubricates things so that you can get to the level of the unknown unspoken and ultimately achieve that title or that position as a trusted advisor to whomever your client may be.
0: If you get to the point where you've done all of that and you just can't agree on a mutual outcome, do you leave that in the room or is it okay to disagree agreeably?
1: I think it's okay to disagree. Depending on you know, what the ultimate goal is, I would revisit that issue and we probably have to be you know, a little more specific. Um, but generally, you, know, you wanna answer as many questions as possible. If you're, let's say for example, working with a client and that client has an issue I think you always have to be cognizant of just the time frame a lot of times if people are you know unfamiliar you know with this problem that you're talking about and they've been immersed in their business for you know however many years they're probably going to think that you know this is something that I would have thought of before and they may not be quick to trust you know what you're saying so I think you have to just be strategic about the way, if you're confident that this could be an issue for them going forward, one of the things that you can do is just use a comparison to other clients that you've worked with before or other things that you've seen in your industry to sort of establish a, a pattern or trend you know, here. But I would say stay with it. If it's something that you believe can ultimately help your client, be respectful of their time and understand that. You know, it takes some clients longer than others to come to that point of understanding or even admit it. But certainly I wouldn't let it go if you think it's something that could be pivotal or beneficial to your client.
0: I'm sure we have listeners out there and they say, what just happened? We started talking about public speaking. Now it sounds like we're talking about sales, but they're really the same thing, aren't they?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Many of my clients are, are individuals who are in sales. And I believe that, as I said earlier, that anytime that you're communicating, essentially you're selling, whether you're trying to sell an idea, whether you're trying to sell people on, you know, information that they need to do their jobs better or to understand for systems or processes to work better. I believe that we're always selling. And that's why it's critically important that you be clear so that people can understand your point of view.
0: As you mentioned earlier that most of us have the fear of thinking in front of people more than really speaking in front of people. But what about what the audience is thinking?
1: Yeah. So Trace, this is a huge can of worms that we're opening up. And a place where I actually love to spend time and to think is about the audience. So it's always important to understand the people that you're speaking to. And the more you understand the people that you're speaking to, whether it be a client, prospect, or a colleague within your own company, the more that you understand their position and where they come from, then it makes it a lot easier to get your point across, to ultimately gain their trust and be able to influence them in the way that you're seeking to. So the first thing that I believe is you, as the presenter or as the communicator, have to be keenly aware of what it is you want to accomplish. So I always suggest that when you're going to be communicating, ask yourself some simple questions. Number one is, what do I want this audience to know? So what is the one thing that it's important for this audience to know? Secondly is, how do I want this audience or my listener to feel when this is over? And then thirdly is, what do I want them to do? So you, as the presenter, have to get that part of it clear in your mind before you approach the situation. From there, the next thing is important is to look at your audience and to assess, you know, what does your audience currently believe about what you're talking about? And once you know what your audience believes and how they're currently behaving based on that belief, then you have to, again, determine what do I want them to believe and how do I want them to behave? And once you can do that, you now have this natural gap between what they're currently doing and what you want them to do and Then once you have that awareness of what you want them to know, how you want them to feel, what you want them to believe, then ultimately the speech sort of or your your content emerges in the midst of that particular gap so awareness is critically important as a first step
0: well, Des, let me ask you so let's put ourselves in a situation where We are presenting a proposal to a prospective customer and we've had a good rapport with them. They've told us what the issues are. We've gotten more information about what the issues are so we could actually come to solutions. And maybe we've even pointed out some more problems that they didn't even realize they have. Now we're sitting in front of them, we have our nice pretty binder in front of us and we're presenting to them and we wanna make sure that we get the most impactful message across to them. What should we do?
1: Yeah, well, Trace, it sounds like you've done the heavy lifting upfront, which I recommend and actually is number two in the process of understanding the audience's psychology and that's relatability. So what you just described is a great way for you to seek to understand know, what are the needs of the audience? So what problems are they really facing? Going back to the problem model that we talked about earlier, what problems are they really facing? And once you can understand the audience's problem and you can articulate it to them, then it's always interesting for me to see this is the place where that willful engagement starts to happen or it opens the door and people lean in a little bit more because they think that you understand or clearly understand their problem. Once you kind of have that relatability, then the third step is positioning. So how do you position yourself? And exactly what you're doing here in the proposal phase is how do you position yourself so that you can get the buy-in of the individuals that you're talking to? It's my belief that once you go to present a proposal to a client, you could pretty much get most of the agreement upfront before you even present the proposal. So I suggest to my clients that they should try to be at the 80% mark before they go in to submit a proposal or if they're gonna be doing a presentation with a proposal because many of those things can be worked out upfront.
0: And you're talking about, of course, soft closing through the entire process. Exactly, yeah. So
1: soft closing through the entire process to where you're getting agreement along the way. The first half of the proposal, in my opinion, is just to make sure that we're on the same page as far as objectives are concerned and then how we're gonna measure success. And then, of course, lastly, it's just getting that audience's approval for whatever the type of change it is that you're looking for. So if you're trying to persuade them, you're gaining acceptance or permission or you're trying to invoke change, you know, whatever your end game may be, of course, is the final phase. And I believe where you have impact with your audience.
0: Well, Des, let's change it up a little bit. Now my audience is, I'm in front of an Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminar, and I've got a couple of hundred people in front of me, and I'm supposed to be delivering information on how they can become better water treaters. How do we go through that process in that format? So let's
1: take this same situation and imagine, as you said, Trace, that you're presenting to a a group of 200 people the same basic principles are going to apply. So when we go to step number one and talking about the awareness, you still wanna make sure that you know what you wanna communicate to the audience. You wanna be clear on how you want the audience to feel when you're done, and you also wanna be clear in terms of what you want the audience to do. Now, in this situation, it's probably gonna be much easier for you to understand audiences' behavior, particularly if you're speaking to folks within your industry. So let's say, for example, you need to understand, you know, what do people currently believe about water treatment or what do they currently believe about the latest technology in water treatment and how are they behaving as a result of that? So that's the starting point. And then once you're clear on those things, then you look to say, well, what do I want these people to believe? Again, that's the message that you're delivering from the platform. And how do I want them to behave? What do I want them to do as a result of this belief. So you really have an opportunity to dial in, number one, because you're within the industry. And another thing that you can do here, I always recommend that you interview your audience participants before the presentation to find out you know, what is important or what issues they think are critical. Now, the second step, of course, is relatability. So being that you would be part of the industry or even if you're outside the industry, if you do a pre-interview or engage some of your colleagues to find out what's important to them, then you'll understand, you'll hear in that process what their needs are and what things might make them lean in and willfully engage in your point of view. Once you're armed with that information, then you begin positioning your your presentation or your proposal, as we were talking about previously. And then lastly, you just strategically build impact. So how do I get the persuasion in order to invoke change, gain acceptance, get permission, or even get people to buy into this new water treatment technology that you're talking about? So whether, as you can see here, whether you're talking about a proposal or whether you're talking about a presentation in front of a group of people, the audience is pretty much going to be the same. And the process that you go through is going to be the same to understand them. And all of those things set you up to be in a better position to get their trust and ultimately influence them at the end.
0: Des, I just can't help but bring this up. We started this conversation with, it's not really a fear of public speaking, it's a fear of public thinking, but everything that you've described creates so much upfront legwork, whether we're learning the situation at the new customer's site and and all of the things that they've got to deal with, or we're pre-interviewing the audience and we're finding out exactly what their beliefs are and where we need to go and where we want them to get to all of that legwork has to calm us down and make us feel better during whatever this phase is that we're doing. Trace,
1: absolutely. That's the magic right there. I believe that if you were to put a presentation, no matter if it's a small conversation, uh, a one-on-one or someone on a large stage, 80% of that speech or presentation happens before you step on stage or before you sit down in front of the client. 80% 80% is done beforehand, 10% is actually the live presentation, whether you're on stage or sitting across from someone. And then the last 10% is uh, sort of a review process where you look back and say, well, you know, I, I could have did this better or I should have done this differently to be more effective. But you've, you've sort of discovered the magic, Trace. If you do the thinking beforehand and you have those things clear and laid out, no matter what the situation, it definitely alleviates some of the anxiety and fear that most people
0: fear when they're actually speaking. And it makes the speaking part of it a lot easier. So Des, now we're at the point where we've done all of our homework. We've gotten to know our audience extremely well. Now, what can we expect? Certainly. So basically what we're talking about here is the outcomes.
1: So what can we expect? I believe that you can expect and should expect four things when you communicate with any audience. One is clarity. And I personally believe that clarity is king. So once you go through that process of getting to know your audience and understanding their current position, the first thing you can expect is clarity. So you'll have clarity of thought, as we just talked about, and you'll also have clarity of message, which makes it much easier for you to deliver your presentation. The second thing that is a byproduct of that clarity is confidence, and it sort of goes back to where we opened our conversation in talking about the fear of public speaking. In order to change that fear into confidence, it is going through this process, and I believe whether you're in a conversation or presentation, you'll be much more confident in your delivery. The third thing is trust. And this is the thing that we seek in our personal relationships and in our business relationships and in any communication that we do where we're trying to achieve a specific goal, whether it be with our staffs or whether it be with our colleagues in our industry, and that is trust. And trust is critical in business as well as it is in personal relationships. We definitely want to get that buy-in from people. And we alluded to different ways that you could do that a little bit earlier. And then the last communication outcome is influence. And influence is basically your ability to affect the thoughts and behaviors and actions of the people that you're speaking to, of course, in a manner that's responsible and consistent with what you wanna accomplish in terms of your goal. So all that in a nutshell, Trace, there's a lot of work that you can do upfront that will help you on the delivery end of your presentation. And there's a saying that I always tell my clients, the more that you sweat in private, the less you bleed in public. And you've told me that. (laughs) You definitely want to do that work up front. Help yourself to the extent possible.
0: So Des, let me ask. Let's say that I am getting ready for some presentation and I've got to go speak to somebody. And normally what I would do is just spend all this time in a PowerPoint and not consider anything else, and and you've opened up everybody's eyes, and now we're thinking, okay, it's not just the information we're going to be presenting. It's now all these other things that we have to make sure that we're accomplishing during this presentation. But when it comes to actually putting a presentation together and making sure that either your slides are correct or what you're saying is correct, and you're going towards the direction that you've described for us, Are there any tips for for actually building that? Absolutely. Well, I
1: believe that PowerPoint should actually be the absolute last thing that you do. So the first thing you want to do when you present goes to something that I spoke to earlier when we were talking about awareness. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to get clarity. So again, what do you want the audience to know? How do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do as a result of listening to you speak? Then once you have defined clearly what those things are, then you go through the process of outlining. I go through a two-step outlining process where the first outline I call an ugly outline, and then the second outline I call my pretty outline. And basically what you're doing here is you're just trying to get down all the thoughts and ideas that may be relevant to your topic And you want to place them sequentially in a way that has a logical flow or a way that lends itself to ease of the audience comprehension when you're delivering the presentation. One of the latter steps in the process is to actually create the PowerPoint. So I see many people uh, when they're doing a presentation, the first thing they do is turn on the computer, pull up the PowerPoint, and they start typing in PowerPoint or either putting pictures in. And I just believe that that's the last thing that you should do. So my process goes from number one, getting clarity about you know what I want to accomplish with the audience. Number two is interviewing the audience or finding out as much information as possible about what the audience currently believes and how they behave in relation to my topic. Once I have that information, then I list out you know, all the, the points and subpoints that I think that may be important, I organize those into a logical sequence, which eventually becomes a script. So I believe in full out scripting the presentation. And then from there, you can create the PowerPoint and the visuals that will support what it is
0: you're speaking about. Des, when I think back of good presentations and bad presentations, the good ones used PowerPoint in a particular way that, that just really made their presentations pop and drove home the message they were trying to, to get to. The bad ones were they simply read what was on their PowerPoint slides. I can't stand that. It's hard to stay awake during that. Or just send me the PowerPoint, and I don't need to go because all the everything that you're going to say is there. So we all want to get away from that. What's the best way to use PowerPoint, or what are a couple of tips so we could use PowerPoint better? Absolutely. So the goal for PowerPoint is, just start at a fundamental level.
1: Your PowerPoint slides should complement your presentation as opposed to compete with your presentation. So PowerPoint is designed to enhance the presentation, but most people use it in a way where it's in competition with the presenter. What I mean by that is when people have slides that are full of words, as the industry describes as death by PowerPoint, What the presenter is asking you to do is to make a choice. Do I read all the information that you have on that slide or do I listen to you? And that is the exact opposite of what you want to do. So as a rule, the best thing to do with PowerPoint is to just have an image and no words on the slide. That will be the goal. Of course, that's not always achievable because you need sometimes words to help explain what you're talking about. But as a starting point, start with just the image and then add as few words as possible. Most people do the exact opposite. They add as many words as possible and then they just throw on an image if they have time. So the first thing I would suggest is just start with an image. The old adage that a picture is worth a thousand words. If you can throw up a picture of the technology that you're talking about or the system that you're talking about to help enhance what you're saying to the audience and just the picture alone will do it, then you're in the sweet spot when it comes to your presentation. So That's the first tip. The second tip I would say is on most remote controls for PowerPoint, there is a button that will allow you to black out the slide, meaning that it will totally take away the picture. Another thing that you could do is to add black slides into your presentation that make the screen go completely black. So what this does, whether you use the remote control or either if you add black slides into your presentation, which I prefer to do, is it forces the audience's attention back to you as a speaker. So if there's nothing on the screen for the audience to look at, they're naturally going to turn their attention to you as the presenter. And so what you want to do is make sure that your presentation and the PowerPoint are tightly choreographed so that you can control the audience's attention in terms of them looking at you and focusing on what you're saying versus actually looking at the slide.
0: I have seen you do this very thing, and it is amazing how you use PowerPoint. And, and, and I never really thought about it. When I was watching you, I wasn't thinking, do I read the slide or do I watch Des? Because you didn't give me that option. I had to watch Dez because there was no slide.
1: Absolutely. And that. In terms of clarity and understanding, just that simple tip alone can change your presentation drastically. A lot of presenters make the mistake of, you know, they leave their last slide up until they're ready to go into the next slide. And so when that slide is there, the audience can read it, they can study it. It may even encourage them to pull out their phones to see if what's really on the slide is true. You know, they want to test their information sometimes. So you want to eliminate as many distractions as possible. And so by either using the blackout button on your remote or incorporating black slides into your presentation, it helps tremendously with that.
0: Well, does let me ask you this. Let's say it's a highly technical presentation and somebody wants to get all that information on there for their reference because they know they can't talk about it all. How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah. So um, that happens quite often. And one of the things that I suggest is to create two PowerPoint decks. So one PowerPoint deck would be the one that you actually show the audience. And then the other PowerPoint deck would be one that you print out and you give to the audience after your presentation, not before, but after your presentation. So the one that the audience sees would not have all of the granular level of detail because a lot of times there's not time to go through that in the presentation. But on the other hand, that information may be important to them. So when you create two decks, the deck that has the details, they can take that with them. And if they wanna refer to it later after the presentation, then they can look at it and they'll have that information available to them. Now, if it's a situation where you're presenting and you're like, okay, there's no way around me having all this highly technical information on the screen, I got to have it here so that the audience understands it. What I would suggest is that you manage the audience's expectation. So for example, you click the slide and it comes up and it has all of these different machines and pipes and things like that and arrows pointing to different things. The way that I would address that particular slide is I would say to the audience, hey, I know that there's a ton of information on this slide and it can be a bit overwhelming, but let me draw your attention to this machine over here in the top left corner. We're gonna talk about that first. Then I would talk about that particular machine and then I would move to whatever the next machine or system I wanted to show them. So I would use my voice to guide the audience through the slide and I would tell them or clue them as to what they need to look at as we go along. But by framing it in the beginning to say, hey, there's a lot of things going on here and I'm gonna serve as a tour guide and sort of walk you through this process, makes it much easier for the audience. And I've found that it causes them to listen to the speaker a little bit more because they wanna know what things on that particular slide are important.
0: Des, that is just fantastic advice. And I have struggled with this probably more than anything. So I'm learning along with the scale it up nation and I appreciate that tip. That is amazing. Trace, one
1: more quick thing to that point. There's also what you can do is like you can use the zoom in, zoom out feature on the slide. So if you were to zoom in on the picture in a particular portion, what I like to do is I'll show them the whole picture so it looks like, okay, you can see how this thing looks from 30,000 feet. And then just explain to them, we're gonna zoom in on certain pieces. And you may have you know three or four slides that have the exact same image on it, but they're just shown closer. So that way it will give the appearance that you're zooming in on the things that are important. And then at the end, you go back to that 30,000 foot view. So it also makes the audience kind of feel like they had an experience. So that's another trick that you can do when there's a lot of detailed information
0: on one particular slide. Great stuff. Well, Des, you said that every presentation needs to have that one thing that the communicator wants the audience to get. So today's podcast interview, what's the one thing that you want the Scaling Up Nation to get?
1: The one thing that's important for the Scaling Up Nation to take from our time together here, at Trace, is the fact that you got to do your homework up front. And the more that you understand your audience and the more that you're clear about what you want to communicate to that audience before you actually present, then you'll see a direct correlation in your performance, whether it's a one-on-one situation or you're speaking to an audience. It's always amazing to me how much you can alleviate the stress and anxiety of a presentation if you just do some of these simple
0: things up front. And there you have it. Well, Des, we're not quite done yet. I've got some lightning round questions to ask you. So are you ready for those? Yes, sir. I think I'm ready. All right. You know that I am a huge Back to the Future fan. And if I had a DeLorean, it, of course, would come equipped with a flux capacitor. And Des, you are coming on a ride with a flux capacitor and the DeLorean with me, and we are setting the time circuits back to the first day where you became a professional speaker. What advice would you give yourself?
1: Um, I would tell myself that everything matters when it comes to a presentation Everything matters. It's home run or nothing. It took me a while to come to that, focusing on different parts of the presentation, like the opening or making sure that this part was clear. And through those trials, what I learned was you know, I was missing the audience and I couldn't figure out why. And over time, once I was able to put all of the pieces together, that was the point where I started to get traction and get responses from the audiences and people understood what I was talking about or I could make them laugh. And so what I would say to myself on my first day is that everything matters. What's the last book that you've read? Uh, The last book that I read
0: was The Million Dollar Maverick by Alan Weiss. We've had some other guests say that they've read that book as well. And Des, there's going to be no surprise, someday we're going to go to the movie theater and there's going to be a movie about Des Thornton. Who plays Des?
1: Wow. Um, I would have to say Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker is uh, one of my favorite actors, very versatile, Uh, always comes across as strong and determined on screen. And interestingly, we share the same birthday, so definitely Forrest Whitaker.
0: Well, there you go. And my last question is, if you could talk to anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why?
1: Uh, If I had that privilege to talk to anyone throughout history, without question, it would be Nelson Mandela. Uh, Mandela was such a simple yet complex man all at the same time. What I admire most about him uh, was his ability to put the good of the group or of the whole uh, above his personal objectives and motivations and the way that he communicated that uh, once he was released from prison and dealing with apartheid in South Africa. I've read and studied him quite a bit and would be infinitely curious to know more about the man.
0: Well, Des, this has been very informative for me. I know people in the Scaling Up Nation cannot wait to go to my show notes page and find things that we talked about today. If it's not enough for them and they want to learn more about you and your process, where should they go? So very simply, you can find me at
1: desthornton.com on the web, that's D E Z T H O R N T O N. And I am so honored to be a guest and to hang out with the Scaling Up Nation and to be introduced to the water treatment industry for the first time. So, Trace, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here.
0: It absolutely was my pleasure. Scaling Up Nation, I am going to confess that when I start writing a presentation, I start with PowerPoint. Des says, don't do that. And Des, I'm sorry, it's a bad habit. I need to figure out how not to do that. But I've been using PowerPoint for so long, it allows me to organize my thoughts and then I can shuffle slides around. So I'm hoping that I'm doing your ugly, pretty outline that you had spoken earlier in our interview with PowerPoint. I will tell you, since you and I have met, I use PowerPoint a lot less. Now, every time I speak, I try to use a PowerPoint, but I don't have what I'm saying on the slides anymore. I try to enhance what I'm saying with a picture that allows people to visualize what I'm talking about. And I gotta tell you folks, since I've been doing that, I have been getting much better reviews about the things that I have spoken about. now. I love the fact that Des says, you need to analyze what does your audience know before you start speaking to them. That was huge to me. And then the next question was, what do you want them to know after you finish speaking? And those two things lead to what behavior do you want to change that your audience is doing? Folks, there is no secret about it. One of the reasons that I started this podcast is because I have seen so much bad water treatment out there. And I know that we are all good people and we all want to do better. But sometimes we're so busy working in the day-to-day, we don't have time to get better. And our industry is better than that. You've heard me say before that if we're going to be in this industry, we need to make this industry better because we are in it. And folks, that's the behavior that I wanted to change with this podcast. I want to be that slight nudge that gets us all a little bit better and the entire industry is better for it. For that little thing that you change, now the entire industry is better for that change. And of course, you know that I look at sales as communication. So Des's entire interview was about how do we sell better? Because if we can't communicate what we're trying to do in a way that people want us to do it, we are not going to be successful. So it's not sales, it's communication. So what selling behavior do you want your potential customer to change? What problem are you trying to convey that they have that they might not know that they have that's a big problem and they might not even know about it and you can help them with that? Des, I just think it is so awesome what you do and how you help people become a better speaker. I got to tell you, one of the things that, not that I am a good speaker by any means, just listen to the podcast and you can probably have evidence of that. But by doing this podcast, by recording how I speak, I am now a better speaker. Now, I still do not speak perfectly. And when I listen back at some of my episodes, I misspeak all the time. But I will tell you that there is some magic to recording yourself and then playing it back. And that way you've got a time stamp of how you spoke at a certain time and you know what to work on to make yourself a little bit better. So what are you doing so you can be a better communicator, i.e. a better speaker? Some of the things I like to do is practice in front of an audience. Of course, it's great. A lot of people say practice in front of a mirror or just practice to yourself, but folks, Des nailed it right on the head. Whenever I am nervous, it's not necessarily about what I am doing. It's about what the audience is going to expect from me and questions they're going to ask. And maybe I'm not prepared for those things. So when you can present in front of a live audience, and these are peers that you trust and probably peers in the industry, they're going to ask you harder questions than your audience is probably going to ask you. So that gets you really prepared. Another thing you can do is work with a coach like Des and they can help prepare you for speaking in front of some sort of engagement or just making a sales presentation. There are a lot of groups out there. One is Toastmasters. Now, I got to tell you, I've never been to Toastmasters, but I've met a lot of people that speak very highly of Toastmasters. And that's where a group of people get together. And I think they learn how to publicly speak. Again, I've never been to one of these, but that's what I think they do. And I know that they have chapters all over. So maybe that's what you should consider. Go online, look up Toastmasters, and I'm willing to bet within a 10-mile radius, there's a spot that Toastmasters is meeting, and you can go there and learn more about it. Scaling Up Nation, I have shared this story with you before. Company owners will come up to me and they will ask me what are some tips that they can do that when they send their valued employees to presentations and trainings, and they're going to spend some money on sending those people there. How do they make sure that they get an ROI back on that investment? And one of my favorite things to tell them is don't send them as a student, send them as a teacher, as a future teacher. And maybe what you do is you get out the syllabus and you look at that together with them and you choose a couple of topics that you wanna make sure that they become the expert on. And now when they come back to the office after going to this presentation, they are in charge of teaching that topic to the entire company. I love to recommend that because two things happen. It changes the responsibility from I'm now sending you, you go learn to now my boss has sent me and now I'm expected to do something with it. So that's the paradigm shift there. But the big paradigm shift is the person that's attending that seminar, they are not there as a student anymore. They are there as a future teacher. And I promise they will pay attention and take notes and ask questions differently because they are expected to teach that topic. And folks, when you do that, That is a little mini presentation that you can do in front of your company that will allow you to get better not only at presenting, but also the topic that you're trying to learn about. So if you're not doing this already, I would ask that company owners, you start requiring your employees to train your other employees about topics. They'll enjoy it more. They will get more out of it. Their presentation skills will get better and it will raise the bar all across your company. Now for you people out there that work for somebody, don't wait for them to assign it to you. Bring this idea to them. I guarantee that they're gonna love it and I guarantee that your company will be better because you are doing that. And like I said, everybody's presentation skills are going to get better. Nation, I got to tell you, I love it when you write into me or you send me a voicemail and you let me know that this show has done something for you. I love all the response that I have received that we have gone weekly and you absolutely love that and you needed it to go weekly because you needed to be inspired on a weekly basis. I am so happy that this show can do that for you and I am happy that I can bring it to you weekly. In order to bring Scaling Up H2O to you weekly, I I do have an ask, I've got several asks. The first one is I am going through my book of questions a lot quicker now. So it is imperative that you help me replenish those. Just like Mike Rowe on Dirty Jobs used to say on each and every episode, if you did not let him know what his next dirty job was, his entire crew, including him, was out of a job. I don't want to get that far. I'm asking you well in advance. Please let me know what questions you want me to answer on my show. You can do that one of two ways. You can go to scalinguph2o.com and record a voicemail where you can hear your voice potentially on Scaling Up H2O asking the question that we will answer, or you can go to the show ideas page and just simply send me an email. Also, let me know what guests you want me to interview. One of the things that I think is just so incredible is when I started this show, it was a very narrow focus on the type of industrial water treatment that I practice. Two years later, almost two years later, not even two years later, about a year and a half, I think it is, a little bit more than that we have expanded to the entire water treatment industry. And you might have noticed that I am expanding the topics that we are talking about so we can cover more in the water treatment industry. So I need to know who I should be talking with because I might not know these people. I wanna get to know them and I wanna bring them to you. So please help me with that. Of course, another thing you can do is you can connect with me on social media. You can look for Trace Blackmore. You can look for Scaling Up H2O. That's where I bring a lot of content and tips to you. So you'll be the first to know if you do that. And then also my final ask is that you share this podcast with other water treaters so we can all scale up on knowledge together. Folks, thanks so much for allowing me to have this opportunity to come to you each and every week. And it's my hope that you have a great week until I talk to you next time on Scaling Up H2O.